Hey everyone, it's Brendan here from Cookville Ghost Hunters. Have you ever wanted to create your own podcast, but didn't have the money or time into researching it? If you answered yes to any of those questions, then Anchor is your answer. Anchor is a free podcasting application where you can create your own podcasts with some creation tools that allow you to record and edit from your computer, and even your phone. You can also make money off of them with no minimum listeners required. They'll even distribute your podcast so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so much more. So what are you waiting for? Head on over to Anchor today. Hey everyone, it's your host Brandon from Cogville Ghost Hunters, and I'm back with another episode. As we continue to release more episodes, I hope many of you will rate our podcast. I understand there isn't much content to rate as of now, but in the future, I hope everyone gives us a five-star review. After a lot of consideration, I've decided to upload new episodes to our podcast every week or every other week. This decision was made to counter the amount of time needed for each episode on our YouTube channel. The time between each podcast episode is dependent on the amount of research needed to complete it. Also, as of this recording, the website is live and nearing completion, and our first episode has been uploaded. Head on over to our YouTube channel by searching up Cookville Ghost Hunters. Also, expect a future podcast episode where we give an overview of our investigation at Stamp Cemetery. With that out of the way, let's get into this episode's topic, different types of hauntings. When asked about hauntings, many people just say it's when spirits are known to be in places. While that general statement is true, the types of hauntings at said locations can determine if a place is haunted or not. Ghosts that haunt their previous homes can be different from ghosts haunting, say, an asylum where they had passed. Both examples are ghosts, but how they lived their lives play an important role in how they live after death. Most importantly, the way in which they died plays a big role. Before going over types of hauntings, I wanted to explain something, and that's the difference between ghosts and spirits. Although we use the words as if they're the same, there are differences between them. As explained by the website summitspirits.com, Ghosts are similar to psychotic human beings, incapable of reasoning for themselves. Spirits, on the other hand, are the surviving personalities of all of us who pass through the door of death in a relatively normal fashion. The key takeaway from that is normal fashion. Death by natural causes versus being murdered. A more in-depth example is ghosts are tied to location of their death. The phrase, unfinished business is mentioned multiple times when talking about ghosts. Another thing to mention is ghosts are tied to tragic deaths, such as a person being murdered in a hotel. The ghost of that victim will most likely stay in the hotel. Spirits are different. SummitSpirits.com continues with, It is believed that spirits are disincarnate entities, meaning that they are the soul that has survived when a person dies and no longer has a physical body in which to reside. They are free to move from one dimension to another and can return to us at free will. Often, it is just a genuine emotional tie to a loved one, such as wanting a family member to know that a deceased relative is okay. That can be the cause of a visit by a spirit. Entities remaining at the location of their death are ghosts. Souls of the departed that have the ability to come back are spirits. Hopefully that clears up the two. I'll catch myself using the words interchangeably too, but they are not the same. Now let's get into the types of hauntings. Starting off is 
intelligent hauntings. With intelligent hauntings, it's believed that we are beings made up of energy and atoms. As the website Haunted Orange County states, while we live, we have an energy aura that surrounds our living bodies. This aura is created by the millions of electrical currents that are created throughout our bodies. Our brains create brain waves, a form of pure energy that is transmitting our thoughts, what we see, and what we feel. It's also theorized that as we die, the form of energy we possessed leaves our body, which many claim this is our souls leaving our body. The best indications of an intelligent haunting is if the spirit in question can interact with people, such as answering a question that's been asked, has the ability to touch people, and interact with objects within the environment, such as moving chairs around. If a place is haunted, more than likely there are several examples of intelligent hauntings within the area. One place I'll talk about often is the Thomas House Hotel in Red Bowling Springs, Tennessee. I love visiting the hotel because it's deep with rich history. It is also full of intelligent hauntings. One of note is one of the Cloyds who originally built the hotel when it was known as the Cloyd Hotel. He is often referred to by guests as the Whistler, as many guests have documented hearing an older man whistling in the halls. Many investigators have received EVPs, or electronic voice phenomena, of Mr. Cloyd. One example would be a well-known haunting for us Tennesseans. Many of us have heard of the infamous legend of the Bell Witch, who was known to terrorize the Bell family that lived in Adams, Tennessee, from approximately 1817 to 1821. Many speculate the origins of the witch, and some claim that she was an intelligent haunting. The real answer may never be known, but it could serve as an example depending on who you ask. When it comes to residual hauntings, I find they're just as interesting as intelligent hauntings. Residual hauntings are thought to be similar to a recording. A basic example would be a person falling from the third story window of a building at midnight. Every midnight or on the anniversary of the tragedy, people can hear the screams from a falling person. But upon further investigation, nothing will be found. This would be an example of a residual haunting caused by negative energy. You can't interact with residual hauntings as it's thought the spirits involved are unaware of their surroundings. Residual hauntings are not always linked to tragedies, as many can be caused by positive energy. While conducting research for this episode, I was unable to find specific, well-documented examples of residual hauntings. If a paranormal event happens multiple times there's a good chance it's a residual haunting. So a third type of haunting, which can be disputed, it's called a tulpa. Basically put, tulpas or thoughts come to life. Growing up, did you have an imaginary friend? In some cases, these imaginary friends could be real, and they're called tulpas, or thought form manifestations. A podcast I listened to has an episode dedicated to the topic of tulpas. To get a more in-depth understanding of tulpas, I'd recommend searching for Ghost Hunter Advice in your favorite podcast directory. A well-documented example of a tulpa can be found in an experiment known as the Philip Experiment. The study was conducted in 1972 in Toronto, Canada. 
The goal of the experiment was to create this entity, or thought form, and to communicate with it through seances. The tulpa, given the name Philip Ellsford, I, I probably butchered that, I'm terribly sorry, but this entity named Philip was given a detailed fictional backstory of his life. Through seances, the controlled group was eventually able to make contact with an entity named Philip. Questions asked towards this entity were answered in accordance with what the group knew of Philip's background, such as having two wives, being a soldier during the English Civil War, and other events. Questions asked where the answers were unknown to the group, the entity could not answer. Other experiments were conducted, giving the potential topas the names of Lilith and Humphrey, which yielded similar results as the Philip experiment. A fourth type is more known with the generation that grew up in the 1980s, and that is poltergeists. Although the movie was not fully accurate with the identification of what a poltergeist is, it did have some aspects within the film that poltergeists are known for. As described by the Merriam-Webster website, the word is made with the combining of the German verb poltern, meaning to knock, and geist, which is the German noun for ghost or spirit. As the name literally translates to, a poltergeist is a spirit that is known to be disruptive by making noises such as knocking on objects. As mentioned earlier, another theory of the Bell Witch is that it was a poltergeist. As documented by the official Bell Witch Cave website, the Bell family started being tormented by hearing sounds of scratches on their walls and the sound of dragging chains. Not exactly a well-known example, but a documented case is of what's known as the Einfeld poltergeist. The events of this case would later influence the creation of the movie The Conjuring 2. It's an interesting story, and I suggest you all read more in depth, but a synopsis of the haunting is it took place in Einfeld, North London, in 1977. A single mother and her four kids had lived on 284 Green Street. During the peak of the activity, it seemed to have revolved around the second oldest child, Janet, who was aged 11 at the time. What had started as gnawing sounds and cabinets opening seemingly by themselves turned into actual possessions. With this particular case, in my opinion... It blurred the line between poltergeist activity and demonic possession. As of May 2015, another family has taken up residence at 284 Green Street. The last one we'll discuss for this episode is probably one that I'm personally unfamiliar with, and I hope to keep it that way. There's many well-documented cases of this particular haunting, and it's more dangerous than the other hauntings previously mentioned. That haunting is a demonic haunting. It's speculated that demons are entities that have never had a human or mortal form. Entities that haven't walked this earth. Demonic activity can easily lead to possession. As mentioned on the website getridofghosts.org, the three main stages of a demonic possession are infestation, oppression, and finally, possession. I am not a demonologist and do not claim to be one. If you are su suspect 
that malevolent or demonic activity is happening around you, I would highly advise to seek immediate help from qualified priests or professionals. In saying that, my research has concluded what happens during each stage. For the infestation stage, demonic activity enters the premises, either a house, hotel, or even a cemetery. The most common way demonic activity enters is through communicating with it. And the most basic way is to summon one through a Ouija board. We at Cookville Ghost Hunters strongly advise against the use of Ouija boards for any reason. Many people know how to open portals through using the board, but some don't know how to close the portals. A well-documented example of demonic activity comes from the Amon's haunting case. The story behind this case is a family, the Amon's, moved into a house in Gary, Indiana, late November of 2011. The family had first experienced what seemed like an infestation of houseflies, despite it being in December at this time. Eventually, events would escalate to one of her children levitating from her bed and another one of the children would be seen by hospital workers walking backwards up a wall. A documentary I would highly recommend people watch is the 2018 documentary called Demon House. This documentary was created by Ghost Adventures lead investigator Zach Baggins. The family had first contacted a church, which claimed the house had several spirits. Nothing more. The Amons had then found a clairvoyant who advised them to move because it was not spirits in the house, but demons. Over 200 demons, to be exact. Eventually, the Amons were able to move out. Once the house came up for sale, lead investigator Zach Bagans purchased it and created the documentary I had mentioned earlier. The final fate of the house would be met in 2016. The house would be demolished and nothing has been built in its place since. As I close out this episode, the goal of this was to teach people about the different types of hauntings one might encounter during an investigation. They're said to be more, but these five are the most common. I personally have experienced intelligent hauntings when I had visited the Thomas house before starting Cookville Ghost Hunters. I hope that you all learned at least something from this, and they will give us a five-star review. If any of you have had personal experiences with any of these hauntings, feel free to email us at cookvillegosthunters at gmail.com or head to our website and follow the link to email us. In future episodes, we'll try telling stories from our listeners with their permission, of course. With that out of the way, happy hunting, and I'll catch you in the next episode. Bye, y'all.